That should be our prayer every day and all the time, shouldn't it? Open our eyes, Lord. Open our ears. Help us to listen. We want to see Jesus. We want to hear that wonderful message, as Roberto shared, the most important message that we can share with anyone, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, We have a lot going on uh, today and a lot going on this weekend, as has been said. Uh, Brother Alvarez is here today, and uh, and the Guatemala work is on our minds and in our hearts in a very special way this weekend. Uh, The wonderful blessings that they are to so many training young men and women to go back to their communities, back to their culture uh, from several different Latin American countries to share the good word, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And what a great and wonderful blessing uh, that is. Today we also acknowledge our veterans. Um, We can't say thank you enough for the sacrifices that you and your families have made for us and for our nation and for other nations around the world. We're actually offering a lunch to our veterans today to honor them, and I appreciate everyone who is associated with that and doing that. Uh, As has been said at 445 today, right in here, we're going to invite our brothers and sisters from North Tenaha Church of Christ here in town for an hour of worship and song. They're going to have a song later or two. We're going to have a song later. And from 445 to 545, we're going to be joining together to lift our voices in, in praise and joy. And that will be a joyful celebration. That will be a joyful time of fellowship. What a great opportunity to be able to sit on the same pew and to share with the same brothers and sisters the love that we have for our great and awesome God. And so I hope that you're planning on being here for that. I know some may not be able to, but if you can, I certainly hope that you will because it will make a great statement to them of our love for them and of our invitation for them to join us in worship. And my prayer is that this will lead to many, many more wonderful times of fellowship and ministry and worship. We already share fellowship in the great ministry that goes on at our Benevolent Center, in our Caring Kitchen, uh, with our Young at Heart. There are so many other things that we do that we're a part of together, and that is a great, great blessing. Uh, Throughout these lessons, we've been talking about habits of effective living. And for the first uh, few, we've talked about ourselves, our own, the things that we need, the things that help us to live an effective life. Life, living with the end in mind, thinking about how our lives are going to end up and living accordingly today. Uh, Just as Paul said, I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished the race. Now there is this crown and it was right there at his fingertips because he knew, he knew that he was about to be killed in the cause of Christ. But he had thought about that all through those years as a Christian and that's what we need to be doing today. To live with the end in mind. To be proactive. Not inactive and not reactive. But to actually be proactive. To be active in the cause of Christ. And active in the lives of one another. And then to put first things first. To have the right priorities. To put that gospel of Christ first of all in our lives. Uh, To be willing to be faithful to the word of God. And to share this great message with others. So today we do a little bit of a transition from that, the things that help us ourselves individually to some of the things that we can be conscious about as we consider 
our interaction with others. Stephen Covey's book talks about going from private victory to public victory, and that's the transition we make today. And this is his words, and this is the first one that we'll cover in this little short group. And that is, seek first to understand, then to be understood. I want you to know that as a preacher, that's not always easy for me. (laughs) Because I want to be understood. I want to share the message. I want to say what's on my heart. And yet I know that the right thing to do is to seek first to understand, then to be understood. As our shepherd Matt Hawes led us in prayer earlier today, he asked the Lord to bless us as we grow in that love and respect for one another. And I think if we seek first to be understood rather than to understand, it is a sign of disrespect. It's a sign that says, you know, I really don't care where you are. I really don't care what's going on in your life. I have something to tell you, and that's all that matters right now. Well, as you look at the life and teaching of Christ and the Gospels, you realize he was the Son of God, and he could have played that card, and yet he never did he actually cared about the lives of others so much so that he was willing to allow them time to express and tell their story and what was going on for them our kids get it they understand that when they're talking with their friends we we get that uh, our youngest daughter amanda <laughs> when she was in kindergarten it was a great thing because our daughters are two and a half years apart so two school years apart and uh, the, the kindergarten teacher that had our oldest daughter became the lead kindergarten teacher when our younger daughter went through. And she said, well, I'm the lead teacher and I loved having Amy and y'all. And so I'm, I'm getting Amanda. I just want you to know I'm getting Amanda. And so she had Mrs. Needles taught Amanda. And uh, one day, <laughs> one day Amanda comes home from school just broken, devastated. She just, it, she, she, her life had, had been torn apart. And... We asked her what in the world was going on, and she said, Mrs. Needles signed my notebook today. And that's when you are being disciplined. (laughs) It wasn't all that rare for me, but apparently for our daughter, it was something that was kind of unique. And so we talked to Mrs. Needles about it, and she said, I hated doing that. I hated doing that. But I have this little group of girls that come in, and they... They come in in the schoolroom and they get all their tables together and they they get in that little circle and they're chattering away and talking away as if they're in somebody's bedroom and there's nothing else going on. And she said, I just had to get their attention. Well, I think that kind of relationship, that kind of sharing, that kind of desire to, to, to be known by someone and to get to know them, I think that's what we're talking about today. To seek first to understand, to get to know, rather than seeking first to be understood. We understand that from those that are sharing with us about the Guatemala ministry. It's what the Ethiopian treasurer asked in Acts chapter 8 that we talked about, that Brother Alvarez talked about in our class. His first question to that Ethiopian treasurer, Phillips, was, do you understand what you're reading? And he started from there, from Isaiah 53. It's asking questions. It's being willing to share the right things. And understanding, coming to understand 
what they're going through and where they're coming from. And so before you speak, listen. Before you speak, listen with the intent to understand. Seek to understand first, then to be understood. And the way we do that is by listening, by asking questions, by asking God to open our eyes, Lord, and our ears, uh, not just to Jesus, but to this person before us that needs us and needs to hear this message right now. On our screen and on your bulletin is a chart from the Stephen Covey book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Living. And it's a, it's a bit of a conflict management chart, but it starts up there with the issue. There's something, there's some issue at stake. It may be a disagreement. It may be a conflict. It may just be some other uh, question of discussion that's going on. And so you have the issue and then you have the different parties and each party has a position. That's their position. That's what they believe about this particular issue. And that's what they're willing to stand and fight about. And that's where we typically do that. We typically squabble and fight over positions. But what we have to do is what some call going below the line. Going below the line and finding the interest. Because it's the interest that is pushing that position. It's a bit of a why question. They may say, this is my position, this is what I believe, this is what I my conviction about this, and it's being able to say, well, why? Asking ourselves and then perhaps even asking them, why, why is this so important to you? Why is this such an important thing? We tend to argue in the position level. And until we go below the line and are willing to try to understand their interest, what they have at stake here, why is this so important to you? then we won't ever come to a common ground. Some examples of this. Suppose a person has been through a divorce and they had a partner that was was a horrible person and treated them horribly and betrayed them and now they're in another marriage and it's a, a great marriage. But every once in a while something happens that seems innocent enough and yet this person flies off the handle about it and says, no, 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 no. What's driving that? Well, it may be a previous experience. But just talking about that position level. Why didn't you answer the phone as soon as I called you? Well, one partner may think that seems a little bit unreasonable sometimes. And the other partner might say, no, that's how it started with me. That's the interest that's driving that position. Uh, Another example of a person who lost their job. Or maybe was a part of a company that went bankrupt. And now how meticulous they are about making sure that every little detail is covered. Things that someone else that hasn't had that experience might say is not a big deal. But it's a big deal to them. And so instead of just reacting to their position about this, you go below the line and, and you ask. And you ask yourself first of all and then you ask them, what's, what's going on here? What's going on here? As an adult child of an alcoholic, an adult child of a product of a divorced home... With my parents, I, I, there are some things that I react to that other people aren't going to react to at all. That seem little maybe and trivial to them, but it's not that little to me. And that's below the line. And that's where we need to try to get. A person who has survived a domestic violence, who had 
lived with an abuser. It's going to be impossible for them to have the same level of of trust for a long, long time with anybody else. And their partner, who who may be a wonderful person, may see them react at some little thing in his mind that they did and can't for the life of them understand why this reaction is so strong. And that's the right question to ask. Why is this so important to you? And perhaps not even asking it out loud, but thinking about what you know about that person and being able to put two and two together and, and give them some leeway there because that's an interest that they have that's way below the line that is driving everything about that relationship. If we are going to seek first to understand, we've got to go below the line. I want to share a couple of Bible stories quickly with you, and that's from John 4. First of all, and it's Jesus with the Samaritan woman. And we're pretty familiar with this story. A lot of us are. But it's found in John chapter 4. And, and Jesus begins by going through Samaria. And uh, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along at all. And there were lots of positions there. But Jesus goes right through, stops at a well. And, and a woman comes up during the day to gather water. And she's surprised because Jesus asks her, can you give me a drink? And not only would she never think of a Jew would want to accept a drink from a, a, a Samaritan, she can't even believe that he's talking to her. But he does. And as he talks to her, he delves more and more deeply into her life and helps her to realize that he knows, he understands. He understands her, her background. She had had a few husbands and now she was living with a man out of wedlock who was not her husband. And Jesus affirmed her and told her, I know this about you. This isn't right, but I know this about you. And yet he was still speaking to her and trying to understand and trying to help her understand. And that's when she said, "Uh, you're a prophet or something. So then she pulls out this question. Maybe it's a distraction. Where are you supposed to worship? You know, Jerusalem or here in Samaria? And maybe it was just to distract him from where he was going, but maybe also it's one of those questions that she really cared about. And Jesus said, well, where is no longer the right question? God is spirit. Let's worship him in spirit and in truth wherever we are. And in that conversation, the woman finally gets up the nerve to say, I know that when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all this kind of stuff. And Jesus says, well, I'm, I'm he. I am the Messiah. It's just a powerful, powerful conversation. And it's amazing that John even records it. He's the only one that does. But remember, it was John and James and Luke, his brother in, in Luke chapter 9, who wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy the Samaritans because they rejected Christ. And now here he is with this heroic woman telling her story. Another story is from 1 Samuel 25. It's from the Old Testament. It's the story of Nabal and and Abigail and, and King David. And the story goes simply like this. King David and his men are traveling and they've been fighting and at war. And and they come to this area and it's where Nabal has this land. And and so King David sends word to Nabal and says, Hey, I, can you provide for my men? Believe me, we're not going to take anything more than we need, but... 
but we need, we need uh, uh, some provisions right now. We need some help. And Nabal, in his pride and arrogance, sends word back to King David and says, no way. You're, you're a guy who's rebelling against his father, the, the real king, King Saul. You're a guy that doesn't belong. I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to do it. And when that was reported to King David, King David said, everybody grab your sword. When this guy's land was at risk, we protected them. We watched over them. When they were, their women were out with the sheep and were out at getting water and all of those things, we made sure nothing bad happened to them. And this is the thanks we get. And then he says a vow. He says, I, I, may it be done to me even more severely if every male in that family, in that household, is not dead soon. Well, one of the other maidservants goes to Abigail, Nabal's wife, and says, listen, you got to know what's going on, and tells her the story of what happened. And Scripture says Abigail acted quickly. And she had everybody prepare a bunch of supplies, a bunch of food, and a bunch of gifts, and she told them, let's go. And she met David and his troops along the way. And it's very interesting how all of this plays out. Because when Abigail does that, verse 18, Abigail acted quickly. She came riding on her donkey, verse 20. David had just renewed that vow. And when Abigail saw David in verse 23, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you Hear what your servant has to say. And right then we expect for David to command his right-hand man and the other troops say, kill them all. That's what would have typically happened. And then go and sacked Nabal and destroyed everything he had. Instead, he listens to her. And she tells him this story so that he will understand. Verse 28, please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, King Saul, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, which will happen, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. This woman very bravely confronts the king and tells him, you need to understand something. The man I am married to is a horrible, horrible man. And you have every right to kill him. But I want you to know that not everybody is that way. I'm not that way. Abigail is described in a very unique way in verse 3. The man's name was Abigail. His wife's name was, or his, was Nabal. His wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman. But her husband was surly and mean. And it was this intelligent, beautiful, brave woman who met Jesus, or who met King David. And King David, to his credit, sought first to understand. 
and heard her out. And he spared Nabal and his family, and later on, Nabal dies. And after the period of mourning, David takes, calls, sends word to Abigail to come and makes her his wife. David listened. Jesus listened. A couple of things. Seeking to understand requires consideration. Requires us to be considerate. As Matt shared, to, to be respectful. To have a loving heart. To hear someone out. To let them speak and listen. Actually listen. Not while you're thinking about how you're going to respond, but listening with the intent to actually understand. Seeking first to understand, then to be understood. Seeking to understand requires consideration. Seeking to be understood takes courage. Takes courage. Took courage for Jesus to confront that Samaritan woman about how she was living. It took courage for that woman to go and share that wonderful good news, the gospel, with all of the Samaritans. Could this be the Messiah? And brought them to Jesus so they could hear for themselves. It took courage for that intelligent, beautiful, brave woman, Abigail, to go before the man who would have a dynasty of kings after him, King David. And say, before you draw your sword, hear me out. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. And as we close today, through Jesus, God did both for us. He did both for us. These two great passages in Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4 share about how Jesus came and took on everything about humanity, even death. Philippians 2 would say even death on a cross. Was tempted in every way just like we were, yet never sinned. And now he is there at the right hand of the Father. And so the writer of Hebrews says, we can approach the throne of God, the throne of grace with confidence because of Jesus, because Jesus did both of those for us helped us to understand God, helped us to feel like we've been heard, we've been seen, we've been understood because Jesus came. But then also was willing to seek to be understood himself, to bring that message of truth, that message of hope, that message of life. He came to drink that cup of God's wrath and judgment for us that Eric shared about around the table. So with the writer of the book of Hebrews, we say this, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Let's approach that throne of grace with confidence. Why? Why? Because we know, we know that there is one there who understands who gets us, and who died for us. And as we try to share that message with others, let's hear them out and find where they are and ask them the questions that they are begging someone to ask. And then point them to the good news. Point them 
to the gospel. Point them to Jesus. This morning, if we can help you do that, come as we stand. Sing our song together.